Welcome to the Kingdom Influencing Podcast, and I'm your host, Derek L. Calhoun. KIPP, for short, brings you an exclusive look at the nature of humanity as we interface with culture and society in and out of our relationship with God. It explores the unique and contrasting position of having a biblical worldview versus a secular or societal worldview. I will explore these topics using the powerful and dynamic tools of the didactic narrative, teaching a relevant truth through storytelling, biblical exposition, teaching Bible principles, and of course, real talk. My background scans a diversity of over 35 years of work in education, government, law, ministry, business development, and consulting, respectively. Each guest speaker will bring a variety of wisdom and insight to life topics and situations that we encounter on a daily basis. So all I need you to do now as listeners is to sit back and enjoy the podcast, spread the word about KIPP, the Kingdom Influencing Podcast, and I will be your host, Derek L. Calhoun. That's hashtag KIP, hashtag KIP. Help me to make KIP your favorite Friday podcast. Now, let's get started. Hey, hey, KIP Nation, how are you guys? I hope you had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, Easter weekend and Holy Week. I pray that God has begun the process of reminding us of how important his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection were to the body of Christ, um, which is kind of a uh, ironic today because he gave me a topic today that I've wrestled with for many weeks, and the topic was simply called Screw God. <laughs> Screw God. And uh, I see how difficult it is for me to just say that, but that's the topic that he gave me. And I was impacted in such a way because God began to deal with me about the 8 billion people that exist in the earth today. And only a small handful, even those who name the name of Christ or at least say that they're Christians, uh, really, really worship him, really, really love him really, really uh, adore him and honor him for who he is in our lives, just for being God. We should honor him because he's God all by himself. He's just God. And uh, sometimes I think we get it twisted. We get life twisted. We get our words twisted and we miss the point of, of why we're here in the earth. We're here in the earth to fulfill purpose, but after fulfilling purpose or even prior to fulfilling purpose, because in my estimation, for my understanding, my biblical understanding is that you cannot fulfill purpose if you don't know God. You cannot fulfill purpose if you don't love God. You cannot fulfill purpose if you don't understand the mandate of God to love people. And sometimes that loving people uh, is very sacrificial in nature because people make it very difficult for you to love them, but God calls us to love people in spite of themselves, and which is essentially what he does for us. He loves us in spite of ourselves. So when we think about this title, 
screw God. It was difficult to address, but I thought about this simple question that we can ask ourselves this afternoon or this morning or evening, whatever time of day it is where you are and whatever corner of the world that you are listening in. How can a word sound so anti-God and yet be God? How can a word sound so anti-God and yet be God? Well, God has a history of taking those things that are negative and producing positive results, uh, taking things that are dark and producing light, taking things that are uh, terrible and producing uh, a, a, a blessing, if you will. It is just the nature of God that there's no circumstance or situation that he cannot manipulate. So when I think about the title, Screw God, I, I, I think about maybe how Joseph may have felt. Joseph may have felt this way when he was uh, going through with his brothers. His brothers betrayed him. How many of you out there have had some family members to betray you, to misuse you, to abuse you, not to treat you the way you deserve to be treated? Well, maybe Joseph started this thing when he told his brothers and his father and mom that they were going to have to worship him and they were going to bow down to him. Uh, I, I think they've got the whole thing started. And the first opportunity that the brothers got to uh, destroy uh, Joseph was the first opportunity they took. And, and they sold him away into slavery. And after being in a pit for several days and, and not having food, being in darkness, being uh, afraid, being tormented, just, I mean, you don't wake up in the morning saying, I'm going to hang out with my brothers or I'm going to follow a, a task for my dad and wind up in the pit. And then when you get out of the pit, you, you think you've finally seen the light of day. You begin to see some success in your life and things are going well. And all of a sudden, you know, while you're at Potiphar's house, his wife accuses you of doing something that you didn't do. Well, that's the nature of life. People accuse you of doing things you didn't do. People hear things and make up things. But the point of the matter for Joseph, it wound him up in prison, these accusations. And, and so he goes from the prison to uh, learning the, the culture of Egyptian uh, uh, culture. And, and, and just, just, just get this. He's learning Egyptian culture. He's a Hebrew learning Egyptian culture, but he doesn't know he's learning Egyptian culture. But the longer he spends time in jail with not just any old body in Egyptian culture, he spends time with royalty that are locked up in prison, and he learns the ways of the king. Now, here's the thing. God will take that which is abnormal and make it normal. In other words, had not Joseph been locked up with royalty, when the Pharaoh called him out of the prison to become second in charge, the prince of Egypt, he would not have known any of the customs, any of the culture, any of the governmental systems that run Egypt, and he would have been at a complete loss and an adequate position to run anything. So here, here's the moral of the story. Here's how this story proves to be didactic. It teaches us that what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. Well, not only does God cover the course of Joseph's life, but then God has a bigger picture. 
And sometimes we call the bigger picture the meta narrative, and and then another picture inside the meta narrative. Well, the picture, the bigger picture is is that Israel was suffering from a famine, and while Israel was suffering from a famine, they did not know that the very son of Israel, who was betrayed by his brothers, was now the prince of Egypt, in control of all of the Egyptian economy and wealth. And was able to bring Israel to the Goshen land and sustain them through the midst of the famine so that there would be food for every family in Israel because God doesn't think with a short-sighted mentality. He thinks with foresight. He thinks with hindsight in mind because he's already gone to the end, saw what the end is going to be and goes back and makes sure that the beginning and the middle of the story match the end. You have to understand that God would use negative situations and negative circumstances to get us into the place where God wants us to be. So instead of us getting the attitude of screw God, we need to be in the attitude of thank you, God. Thank you, God, for seeing what I couldn't see. Thank you, God, for helping me to be what I could not be. Thank you, God, for loving me more than I love you. Thank you, God, for having the wisdom to put me in a precarious predicament in the pit and then to transfer me to Potiphar's house where I would be in another precarious predicament and put in prison. And thank you for putting me in the royal prison so I could learn the culture of the kingdom of, of Egypt so that it was time for me to take my position as the prince of Egypt, I would be ready to assume my rightful throne in you. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't allow me to be so bitter that when my brothers and my fathers eventually showed up, that I did not love them, even though there was a time when my brothers betrayed me and did not love me. Thank you, God, that you did not allow that bitterness to reign in my heart and for me to be able to provide for them in an overwhelming way and to allow them to see that the dream that you gave me many years ago was in fact not just me eating a pizza and having a, a, a nightmare of some sort or so having some kind of uh, uh, dream based on the pepperonis, but that literally you gave me divine insight. You gave me divine wisdom. You showed me the future. You showed me the end. And then you took me from the end to the pit so that I could make sure that the nature of Israel would be perpetual in the earth and that I could learn to love my brothers. Are you catching this? Some people would say, screw God. But why screw God? When God knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning and God has a plan for your life and it's not for your destruction, but it is for good. And so we need to understand that even the very negative, the most negative things that you can think that have ever happened in your life happen for a reason. And they happen not just for you. If you live in a vacuum, you think that everything that God does is about you. Everything that God does is not about you. It's about the nations. It's about generations. It's about people you don't know and people you have not seen. 
when Joseph was thrown into the pit, he was not thinking about the nation of Israel. He did not concede to knowing about a famine. He had no idea the steps and processes that he needed to go through, the process that he had to learn to trust in order to get to God's ultimate end. None of us know God's ultimate end. But if we learn God, if we praise God, if we read his word, if we study to show ourselves approved, eventually we begin to understand the ways of God. So you can see how we could use a title like Screw God. He, he could, watch this. Watch this. We can go to, to the uh, book of Joshua. The children of Israel, their backs are against the wall. They are looking to walk in the power of of God's divine destiny for their lives. They are looking to achieve the impossible, taking down the very city of Jericho. They're looking to overcome speculation of leadership, that ancient leadership that said that the the giants were too big, the grapes were too big. Whatever it is that God has called us to do, it's too big. And yes, this fortress called Jericho was most impenetrable. No one had penetrated it. It was one of the greatest fortresses in the history of military campaigns. Yes, it was. Six chariots riding on the top of his wall, and yet God brought the wall down by the obedience of Israel. But you can't get to the end of that story until you realize that Israel was saved by Rahab, a prophet who lied for Israel and told the king that she hadn't seen the spies that had come in to spy the land. Had she told the king, the spies were in my brothel, it would have been over for Israel. The, the plan of God would have been thwarted. It would have been a total disaster. But God uses the people that you least likely think are going to be used to help you in a given situation who is it around you that you've written off because they don't seem to be the type of person that has the potential to help you you never know who's going to help you you never know who's going to love you you never know who's going to protect you you never know who's going to speak up on your behalf you never know who cares more for you than you care for yourself? And, and then Judas. Here's Jesus picking his 12 disciples, faithful men, men that he spent three years training and teaching and sharing his most intimate thoughts and most intimate secrets of the kingdom of God. And yet one of the disciples was not just a disciple, but he was a traitor. And in his spirit, there was an opening for Satan to slip in unawares and to speak to him. And, and he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Yes, 30 pieces of silver. He sold him out in a, conspir in a, in a conspiracy created and fabricated by the rulers of, of that day and age. And, but, but here's the thing. Here's the caveat. This Judas was one of the only men who knew where to find Jesus and to knew and to know exactly what he looked like. So how did he identify Jesus? 
he kissed Jesus. But this kiss of betrayal, this kiss that was heard around the world is the kiss that identified Jesus as the anointed one that appointed him to make sure that he died on the cross so that we would have a good Friday. And from a good Friday, we would have a resurrection Sunday. And so God uses negative things to bring about positive results. So when we say screw God, we need to understand that, yes, you may be going through something that makes you want to say that to God. But if you really understand God, he has a bigger and better plan and will even give you room to repent for saying that so that you could get to the place where God wants you to be. Listen, you've been listening to the Kingdom Influencing Podcast. I am your host, Derek L. Calhoun. Remember, God loves you, God cares for you, and more than anything in the world, he wants you to influence the nations. God bless. Have a good day.